Welcome to the Sword and the Trial podcast. This is a podcast of Founders Ministries and Founders Exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. I'm Graham Gundon. Glad to have you join us today. We have a very special guest that we will introduce in just a moment. But Graham, uh, first, let us know a couple of things that are important for people yeah. to consider. So for those of you who are interested in becoming a FAM member, a Founders Alliance member, uh, right now we have a special thing going on right now where if you join in the month of May, you can you will get a signed book by either Tom or Vody. So you got the whole rest of the month of May. If you come on as a uh, shield member or a sword member or an ally member, you can get a signed book by either Vody or Tom. And we appreciate those folks who support us and help us to produce content like this. Well, today we have Allie Beth Stuckey with us coming to us from Texas. And Allie, we're delighted to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sword and the Trial. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to read the things that uh, you put out as well as hear the things you say on your Relatable podcast and the people you interview. Uh, we feel like we're just very much synced together with the very concerns that you've been addressing for quite a while and that we are trying to address here at Founders as well. So tell us a little bit about how you have come to see the world having shifted the way that it has from your Christian vantage point and trying to be Christian in this changing world. Yeah. Well, I deal with a lot of people who are in what you would consider Generation Z. I would say the majority of my podcast listeners, followers are in my um, age demographic. So millennials, I'm 30, so probably 25 to 45. But I talk to a lot of high schoolers and college students who feel like they are isolated because of their Christian beliefs that, of course, then characterizes their political beliefs about things like abortion and gender and all of that. And um, they truly feel like they are unable to say the things that they truly believe for fear of getting a bad grade or getting bullied. And I do not remember having that fear or thinking about those things at all when I was in high school, a little bit more in college and kind of understanding the things that were going on. Of course, when you start voting, you really have to start caring about the political realm. But I don't remember having that pressure. I did go to a, a Christian school. So maybe it was that we kind of all agreed on those things. But it seems like today, the world is simply hyper political. The shows that we watch are political. The um, uh, accounts that kids are following on Instagram and TikTok, they're political. The celebrities that they admire, the singers that they listen to, they're all talking about political things. They're going to say something about abortion or about voting rights or whatever it is. So it seems that our world has become more political than ever before, which has put a requirement on Christians to ensure that our belief in the Bible and our belief in really the first verse of the Bible that God created the heavens and the earth is characterizing what we believe politically and culturally. And really the issues that are considered political and cultural today, some of the most hot topic issues like abortion and gender ideology, sexuality, the definition of the family, those are not primarily political for the Christian. They're primarily theological. They're primarily biblical issues. But because we have shifted into what seems like such a hyper-political country, the things that we believe, the things that we are articulating, which are really what the church has always believed for thousands of years, um, they are now seen as political statements. And because of that, it has caused, as Vodi Bakum talks about, fault lines. It has caused 
Christians to make a choice about the things um, that they are going to say, the kind of views that they are going to represent. A lot of Christians have decided, you know what, I'm just going to courageously double down on the things that the Bible says. I don't care if people see it as divisive. I don't care if people see it as political or as engaging in the culture war. And then you've got other Christians that have decided that some of these fundamental things like gender and abortion and what it means to be made in God's image, that that's just that's just too divisive. That's not loving enough. That's not, that's too political. So they're just going to be silent on those things. So it's kind of created this polarization, not just in our country, but also in the church. Um, and in a way that's, that's really a shame, but at the same time, I do think it, it creates an important distinction. It highlights an important difference in people who know what time it is, who, who see the moment that we are in and see the demands of this current generation to be so clear on these things. And those who um, really just don't seem to understand, I guess, how Christian theology should influence what we think about um, the cultural and political challenges that we're facing. Yeah, I think you frame that really well, because with these realities that are pressing in on us now, you're either going to determine as a Christian to shut up and stay in your place, or if you speak, you're going to be castigated by an increasingly hostile world. And yeah. this whole idea that you know we politics has no place in the Christian life, one of the most political statements you can make is Jesus is Lord. You're mm-hmm. saying to the state, you're not God. You don't have final authority. Your authority is delegated. And, of course, our forefathers had their heads rolled down Roman roads because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. And today, I think we've had it so good so long in the the kindness of God that we have forgotten just how radical a statement that is. So trying to understand the lordship of Christ over every area of life is important. If we don't get that and don't catch up to that now in the changing world we have, we're we're going to be way behind. Yeah, you know, and it's there's a lot of disdain for Christians who kind of get caught up in the culture wars, and, and you see a lot of criticisms towards uh, Christians who who speak politically. Um, but you know, it's we wouldn't have we wouldn't have criticized Poland for going to war against Nazi Germany. Why? Because Nazi Germany invaded Poland. Mm-hmm. For the same reason, we shouldn't be criticizing Christians who get involved in the culture war because the the Christians are not the ones militating against anyone, but rather the neo-pagans are militating against the church and trying to destroy a culture that's been in place for hundreds of years Mm -hmm. and a culture that's been influenced by Christianity. Absolutely. Allie, have you, you, uh, I know you have kept up with things like what Tim Keller said the other day, a week or so ago about abortion and trying to massage the fact that God doesn't tell us exactly how to fight against abortion, so therefore we ought to make space for those would politically disagree with us. Does that surprise you that we're hearing those kinds of arguments? Um, No, it doesn't surprise me. I think that Keller really for a long time, this is not kind of a, like a recent development of how Tim Keller thinks and sees things. He's always kind of been like this. And Mm -hmm. I think I personally believe he's made wonderful contributions to, well, at least my understanding of basic theology and apologetics. And so, of course, I'm not going to try to detract from that. Mm -hmm. But I found his arguments to just be silly for someone who I know is very thoughtful. He has obviously thought about this issue for a very long time. And yet he is acting like it is like 
what Democrats believe about abortion and what Republicans believe about abortion is somehow morally equivalent. Like both sides are competing to bring viable solutions to decrease abortion. That is not the debate that's being had. Republicans and Democrats are not debating about how to decrease abortion. The debate is whether abortion is evil or good. The current Democratic Party believes that abortion should be accessible without apology through nine months, subsidized by the taxpayer for any reason. Mm -hmm. Republicans don't for the most part conservatives don't certainly conservative christians don't um and so that is really the debate to be had sure we can talk about the different solutions that could decrease abortions but that is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the anti-abortion side is trying to do of course we want to decrease abortions but the legal push that is involved in the pro-life movement is really about recognizing the legal right mm -hmm. of unborn children not to be murdered whether or not that decreases abortion. And I can tell you for sure that one thing that does not decrease abortion is making sure that it is free and accessible <laughs> through nine months, which is what the Democratic Party is doing. So it's just a silly moral equivalence on Tim Keller's part. Yeah, I agree. I, I just reread this morning the Democratic platform. I do, do that about once a year or so. For your devotions. I, I, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's penance or something. But, but five times, five times in the platform, they advocate for abortion on, demi on demand everywhere subsidized by taxpayer money. And I don't know how you can see that and believe that that's really what they are saying and then have this moral equivalency and say, no, 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 the both, both parties are the same. Let me read you a statement from, you're Southern Baptist, aren't you? Yes. Okay, well, we are too. And So this is from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission that uh, Brent Leatherwood, who's the acting president of it, put out. It says that the ERC will always advocate for life before Congress and courts and in the public square. And we're working toward a day when abortion is not just illegal, but both unnecessary and unthinkable. And I took exception with that, trying to figure out when is abortion ever necessary? And why would we right. cede that ground to yes. the argument? That's, that's interesting. That's, yeah. that's interesting that they said unnecessary. Maybe they, I don't know if they possibly meant to give the benefit of the doubt, the felt need for abortion. Mm -hmm. But actually you hear, you hear this from those kind of in the middle and to think that in order to truly be a Christian who engages in politics, that you're going to be a little bit liberal and a little bit conservative. Mm -hmm. Of course, I would contend that you're actually going to be much more conservative than the Republican or the Democratic right. Party. Um, but I, I do hear that a lot from the middle of that. OK, in order to end abortion, we have to make it unnecessary, which typically means, I don't know if this is what the ERLC means, it means more welfare programs, different yeah. kinds of government involvement to try to make abortion unnecessary. But again, I think it's always helpful to try to apply a statement like that to murder of someone outside right. of the womb. Like, are we working to, do you ever hear someone say, well, you know, in conjunction with trying to make murder illegal, we have to make murder unnecessary. Like that would be really absurd um, if you heard something like that. Of course, we do want to change people's hearts so they don't feel like they want to go out and murder someone, of course. But that's not a part of the platform if you're campaigning against making um, if you're campaigning against murder, you're not going to say, well, I think a really important aspect of this is that we make murder unnecessary. What does that even mean? Right. One of the concerns that we have is it seems like that today, even many evangelical leaders, but, but certainly many churches and institutions have lost the ability to reason morally the way you just did. 
And so they hear that. And it's, maybe it's because abortion has been so much a part of our culture that mm-hmm. it's just become accepted and not critically analyzed as we should. That uh, the, the, this moral equivalence just seems to be the typical play that we hear over and over and over. And if we can establish the fact that, no, Genesis 1-1 is true. This is God's world. He created his rules. He made it with hierarchies and with authorities of the way that he's ordained. And that abortion is murder. Mm-hmm. Full stop. It's murder. If we can get that as a foundational, then we can start having some more uh, biblically informed moral discussions. But right. man, the foundations aren't even there today. And, mm-hmm. and I, I grieve over this, especially with Christian leaders. I mean, like a Tim Keller and, and uh, you know, like some of these guys that are trying to be winsome or nice in the public square because they think that's the way to advance the arguments and the cause. And you you have taken a completely different approach on that. Not that you're not relatable uh, or <laughs> likable, but the the fact that you're just not compromising on what's the truth. And we need right. more of that. Mm-hmm. Who else right. do you see that you could point your generation to saying, okay, here, here are some faithful sources that you ought to be uh, consulting with to help you think rightly and respond rightly to the world in which we live? Yeah, I, I do want to say something about that winsomeness piece, because obviously we're not saying that it is bad to be winsome. You want to be persuasive. It's great to be dynamic. It's good to have communication skills. I think God blesses people with that. And that can absolutely help persuade people beating someone over the head or just being completely unappealing in your rhetoric or unpersuasive in your argumentation that obviously doesn't help. I think the mistake that those who say, oh, we just need to be winsome. We just need to be nice. We just, if we just kind of um, comp- give the give the secular progressivists just a little bit, then they'll finally believe in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like if we don't talk about gender or abortion or these things that kind of make the progressive secularists mad, then maybe, you know, they'll believe that Jesus is the only uh, way, truth in life. And that obviously is just silly. That's not how it works. And I think about Stephen and about Jesus, but I think about Stephen scripture tells us that he was full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Wouldn't that, isn't that really what it means to be kind of like fundamentally truly winsome? You're mm-hmm. full of grace, but you're full of truth. We would all like to be described that way. What happened to Stephen? Was he so winsome and so persuasive that when he got up there full of grace, full of truth, that everyone said, wow, you know what? I agree with you, dude. Like I am going to be on your side. I believe what you're going to say. No, of course he was stoned to death. So he was full of grace and truth. And his outcome was not that everyone who listened to him believed him and liked him and that he was accepted by the secular world. He was actually executed. So I think that a lot of this winsome crowd believes that the more you are accepted by the New York Times, Washington Post, Atlantic crowd, the more that secular progressives kind of pat you on the back for doing a good job, then that must mean that you are being truly obedient and that you are being um, uh, really good at evangelism or whatever it is. And that is not an indication. People's response to you is not an indication of whether or not you are being obedient to God. I think that we see many examples of that in scripture. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I think that I I will just say, and this is not just to promote 
me, I truly believe that the people at World Magazine, the opinion section at World Magazine, that there are a lot of good Christian thinkers that are diving into these complex issues from an unapologetically Christian conservative perspective, whether it comes to abortion or whether it comes to economic issues, whether it comes to gender, all of these kind of taboo topics that Christianity today I don't think typically approaches in an actual biblical way. So I think that's one resource. There are some podcasts that I love to listen to. I love you guys and all of you guys have so many resources at Founders Ministries that we personally love in our home. Um, I love Elisa Childers. I think that she is great when it comes to apologetics. I love Nancy Piercy. I refer to Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body and Total Truth a lot when it comes to these gender and identity issues, issues of the body. Um, so there's a lot out there. Unfortunately, you kind of have to dig for it, um, but it's there. I mean, there are good, clear Christian thinkers that are pushing back against cultural lies today. And there are a lot of bad ones too. There are a lot of bad ones too, um, but there are some people doing a lot of good work. You know, when you talk about um, that issue of being winsome, we, we do want people to be persuaded of our message. Um, but the Christian way of going about that is not by speaking in such a way that you know, the world is going to love what we say, but, you know, Paul talks about it in second Corinthians too. You know, I, I didn't come to you with, with words of wisdom that were persuasive, but you listened to me because I spoke the truth. People are persuaded by beauty when they're, they're attracted by beauty and the truth is beautiful. And you, you referenced John fourteen six just now, uh, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And when we proclaim Christ, we're proclaiming the truth and people will be attracted to the beauty of that truth. Some people will not be, and that's up to the spirit to open their eyes and to soften their hearts to see that that truth and that beauty. Um, but that's what we're called to do. We're not called to change our message so that it's palatable, but we're called to proclaim the gospel, and the Lord will, will attract, and he will bring, and he will persuade those whom he wills. Amen. I, sometimes this is couched in terms of Christ-likeness. You know, if you're not being very Christ-like whenever you speak forcefully or pointedly on things. And, you know, I, I think, well, you know, Jesus was pretty Christ-like and they crucified him. And right. if we're going to be his followers, we should not be embarrassed or surprised by the fact that we also will suffer persecution as our master did. And, and part of what I think we've got to gear up for in, in this culture, in the West right now, is a willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ a willingness to, to be ridiculed, reviled, castigated, canceled for the sake of Christ. Uh, there, there's no way to win people with anything other than the gospel, and the gospel is inherently offensive. And we can't cut off the implications of the gospel because we think, oh, no, you know that, that will offend somebody who's uh, got gender dysphoria. Um, and this, you know, the whole idea of gender or you know, pronoun hospitality that we've been mm -hmm. uh, told we ought to practice. I, I see that as participating in a lie. Yep. And I'm not serving that person. I'm not loving that person if I do that. So one of the challenges that uh, we've had put to us and we, we struggle with in our, in our own discussions is we don't want to give over to just political causes. We don't want to shy away from them, but we are gospel people. Mm -hmm. We want to make disciples. We want to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know that when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, that calls you to a life of discipleship, a mm -hmm. life of submission to him in every area. And politics or anything else, culture doesn't get cut off. You don't say, oh, no, you can follow Christ everywhere except these areas. And that's a challenge, something we've all got to contend with, and we're grateful for uh, your engagement in that, you've been doing it a long time, and especially as you're engaging with this rising generation that uh, has been so confused and misled in so many ways. 
so confused. This is an age that I think is characterized by chaos and confusion and what people seem to be so hungry for today. The churches whose pews seem to be filling up rather than emptying um, are the churches who are courageous and clear. I mean, people are just hungry for that. Everything that we see. I mean, I know I keep on going back to this abortion debate, but it's such a good example of just like the use of euphemisms Mm. and the confusion around messaging and and propaganda, like reproductive justice, reproductive rights, even abortion itself is a euphemism for what it is, as you mentioned earlier, the murder of babies. And so a lot of people, even professing Christians are confused about what they're hearing, what they are seeing, what justice looks like, what is right, what is wrong, and all of that. And if the church is called to anything, it is to be a beacon of clarity and truth, of course, of the gospel, but that characterizes our clarity and our courage on everything else too. I like this help people because, you know, we talked about how people believe that if you're just, if you give a little bit on some of the culture war issues, then maybe the progressive world, the secular world will believe the gospel. I just have a hard time believing that if you are not willing that if you're not willing to talk about the issues that are covered in literally the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, um, that you will be willing and courageous enough to defend what is far more controversial, which is far more offensive, which is the gospel. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is much more offensive than the blatant reality that God made us male and female. If you're not even willing to publicly defend the first chapter of the biblical canon, I have a hard time believing that for very long, you are going to be able to defend what is far more offensive and controversial to a simple world, which is that they are separated from God apart from Christ. Um, and so it's, it is, it's all tied together. It's all tied together. And we have to be courageous and clear about all of it. If we believe that God is good, if we believe that he is the authority over all of this, that means he alone has the ability, the authority to say what is and what isn't what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what's good and what's evil. Um, and the most loving thing that we can do since God is love first John one nine is agree with him. We can't out love God. We can't out empathy, God, we can't out compassion, God, we can't out justice, God. So if the God who is love says something is right and wrong, we are not being political or divisive or engaging in the culture war simply to agree with him. We're just being Christians. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. Uh, God's the one who has defined love for us. He's defined truth for us and truth rejoices or love rejoices in truth. So if you really love somebody, you can't lie to them or participate in their lie. Well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We're grateful for you and all you're doing. May the Lord continue to bless and use you. Uh, If we can serve you in any way, let us know. We're grateful uh, for the impact that you're having in this day. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the Sword and Trial. We look forward to being with you again, Lord willing, next week.